Were you waiting for me? You were. Were you waiting for me? You were. Good stuff. You couldn't start without me, could you? Welcome to Tuesday's Richie Allen Radio Show from a gorgeous Salford here in the Northwest. Lovely weather today. Lovely and sunny. How are you doing? Do drop me a tweet. Tell me how you're doing. BBG Richie, let's do the programme. It's the BBG, not the BBC. You're listening to the Richie Allen Radio Show, live from Salford in Greater Manchester. It's the Richie Allen Show, broadcasting live on richieallen.co.uk and multiple platforms around the world. And now, here's your host... Richie Allen. Now, Dr. Joseph Mercola is a very well-known family physician in the United States. He's also a very successful author as well. Founded Mercola.com. He's got a new book out about COVID-19, the truth about COVID-19, and he'll join us in the second hour to discuss the book. I was given an advanced copy of it, and it's very, very good. Joseph Mercola, Dr. Joseph Mercola, hour two. Before that, a very funny Irish comedian and storyteller called Aidan Killian. Aidan is a very interesting man. Just read his Twitter bio. He's the COVID asylum seeker refused entry to Ireland for refusing a PCR test. But he's more than that. He's had a great career so far. Success at the Edinburgh Fringe and Glastonbury. Funny man. Currently doing a 32-county tour of Ireland, a lockdown tour. Aidan Killian and Dr. Joseph Mercola are my guests today. This Arvo this afternoon. You all right, you are? Yes, I'm all right myself. Fair to Midland. You heard the Queen, you did. Did you hear the Queen this morning? Every two minutes. My government... My Parliament, I won't attempt to do the accent because I can't do any accents. I'm garbage. Were you listening to that? You were. She looked a bit chucked, did the Queen. Rumours have it that the adrenochrome is stuck in Calais. <laughs> the, old, the old French truckers are on strike again. Where's my adrenochrome? They buried it with Philip, maybe. Seriously, though, my government, my Parliament, wise up to it, constitutional monarchy, Please educate yourself if you haven't before. I've harped on about this for a few years. MPs, before entering the House of Commons, having won an election, won a seat, must swear the following oath. Oath! They must say, I... So if I was elected as MP for Salford, if I got rid of Rebecca Long Bailey, (laughs) I might try for the crack. If I got rid of Rebecca Long Bailey, I wouldn't get 20 votes. My own missus wouldn't vote for me. I, I would have to say, before being allowed to enter the House of Commons and to even give a speech, I would have to say, I, Richard Allen, do swear that I will be faithful and bear true allegiance to Her Majesty Queen Elizabeth II, her heirs and successors according to law. Democracy is an illusion. I've told you this for donkey's ears. They knew centuries ago that the serfs, the unwashed, were waking up to them. How do we preserve our rule, our status and our wealth without the plebs knowing it? Aha. Let's invent parliamentary democracy, create a constitutional monarchy and give the Egypts a choice of hundreds of politicians who ultimately swear allegiance to us. Brilliant. That's it in a nutshell. Find out about the Crown Corporation and the City of London. Look at all that ritualistic crap that went on today. That has real meaning for these people, you know. 
Democracy is an illusion. That's why we say two cheeks of the same backside. Or we put it a bit more crudely than that. Two cheeks of the same arse. So it's day two of my major, my major investigation into where Kay Burley is and where she'll be working next. I'm talking about, you know, Kay Burley. I'm no further along now than I was this time yesterday, by the way. We're talking about the Wigan warrior, the ginger ninja, the queen of daytime news. Fabulous. It's all good. (laughs) I've only had one sexual dream about Kay. I get asked all the time, do you you dream about Kay Ritchie? Because you mention her all the time. I've only ever dreamed about her once. This is the gospel truth. I'll tell you the dream. We, me and Kay, were on a gondola in Venice eating custard creams and drinking iron brew. Now, Julia Hartley Brewer was steering the gondola. We were all fully clothed, so I don't know why it turned me on, but it did. And for some reason, Kay was wearing roller skates. I have no idea what that's about. Amateur psychologists figured that out, the custard creams, the iron brew. What's the symbolism? What does it mean to middle-aged female journalists, the gondola and the roller skates? Anyway, affect the Queen's speech. Who cares? Let's move on. Matt Hancock is the UK Health Secretary. He was on Sky this morning with Stephen Dixon. He talked up the lockdown exit and the success of the rollout of the vaccines. Hancock. And we know from the data published yesterday that if you've had both jabs, your chances of dying from COVID are reduced by 97%. These two things together, the huge uptake, which is down to people turning up, you know, almost everybody over 50 has now been jabbed. It's absolutely wonderful the way the public's responded. That combined with the brilliant science, which gives this 97% protection from death if you've had both jabs more than a fortnight ago. What was that again? That's an important little bit of information now. That combined with the brilliant science... Brilliant science. ...which gives this 97% (laughs) protection from death if you've had both jabs more than a fortnight ago. Yeah, they told us yesterday uh, that if you've had both jabs and you had your second one more than a fortnight ago, there is, wait for it... Um, the combination there's your chances of it, it reduces your chances of dying from the virus by 97 percent it's an important bit of information that you might have missed that today seven percent protection from death yeah. that combined with the brilliant science which gives this 97 percent protection from death if you've had both jabs more than a fortnight 97 percent protection from death right. go um, the combination of these two things means that the most vulnerable are protected so we can move to a uh, a, a principle of personal responsibility when we're totally transparent about the science of the risks we're clear about what that means we'll when be- he said they'll be totally transparent about the risks his nose grew four inches on live television now hancock said that having both doses of a covid vaccine reduces your chances of dying from the virus by 97 percent. this is nonsense okay but let's take it as fact he's admitting by proxy. He doesn't know he's admitting, but he's admitting effectively that your immune system is far more effective than any amount of vaccines they can give you. Because if I came down with coronavirus tomorrow, my own personal risk of dying, if I don't have any vaccines, right, if I come down with coronavirus tomorrow, my risk of dying is, wait for it, 0.0034%. And I know this because I used the Q-COVID calculator, which is developed by Oxford University and is being used to determine risk by the NHS. You can find it online and do it yourself. Be honest. 
be honest when you're doing it. You don't have to give any data. You don't have to give your name, your whereabouts, none of that. Um, but but just put in, it, it asks you a list of questions about comorbidities. Be honest and you'll get your risk, right? So your immune system is better than the vaccine. You'd have to be mad to have the vaccine. I put a rather cheeky headline on an article about this on richieallen.co.uk, but the text of the article is supported by the cheeky headline. Anyway, domestic passports. Matt Hancock spoke to Stephen Dixon about passports, vaccine passports for international travel. He starts off talking about that. Then they move on to domestic vaccine passports. Where are we with that? Because as you say, that maybe on the domestic front, that's, that's going to come into play from June, but on an international travel front, that's going to come into play from next Monday. Uh, is the app, it's meant to be yes. all going on to the NHS app, is that going to be up and running by next Monday? Uh, yes, the, the um, certification, being able to show that you've had a jab, is going to be necessary for people to be able to travel. So we want to make sure people can get access to that proof uh, not least to show governments of other countries uh, that, uh, that you've had the jab if they require that in order to arrive. Israel's a good example. They've said that they'll want proof of you having had two jabs uh, for you to go to, uh, to, uh, to Israel as and when they open up. They're on the green list, of course. So we will make sure that you can get access to that to prove that uh, point. That is different to the question of whether we require people uh, to be certified as COVID secure before, before doing things domestically. Domestically, right, well. Domestically, um, that is something that Michael Gove is working on and we're looking at these pilots that are, that are running. Uh, you saw that the, the, you know, there was an audience at the Crucible uh, for the snooker finals. Uh, the Brits are going ahead. We're, we're testing different ways that this might work for large events and then we'll be following mm. the science on that. Following the science. Where is the rodent-esque Michael Gove? Where is he? Why no report on domestic vaccine passports? It was believed his report would be released sometime in April. We're now on May 11th. No sign of Gove coming back. Why not? Are they worried about a backlash? I believe Gove wants to do what they're doing in Israel. He spent time there recently with Jonathan Van Tam, Deputy Chief Medical Officer Van Tam. Anyway, we'll, we'll bring you more on that when we have it. Ten and a half minutes past five, the Richie Allen Radio Show. Live from Salford, Joseph Mercola, Dr. Joseph Mercola, of course, in hour two. Before that, Aidan Killian, Irish comedian, he'll be with me in 15 minutes. Now, Leeds University Professor Cass Noakes, I gave her a bit of stick yesterday on the programme. Had a bit of fun with Cass, but I didn't bring you the audio. I don't know if I had it, but I didn't bring you the audio. Anyway, Cass Noakes is a member of SAGE, the Scientific Advisory Group for Emergencies. She's the one that's been telling us that we should keep our hugs as short as possible and avoid face-to-face -face contact at all costs. Professor Cass Noakes, well, is a little bit of a donut. Here she is. Perhaps, you know, don't hug everybody you know. Hug if you don't hug everybody you know. Write this down now. It could save somebody's life. Point by point, hugs are available again as of next Monday. Montag, de lune. Next Monday, right? Lunes, it is in French, is it? I don't know. Anyway, no, oh, that's Spanish, is it? What is it in French? I haven't a clue. 
Uh, right, Jess, so write it down now. Don't hug everybody you know. Hug- don't hug everybody you know. I mean, the bags of that now, it's important stuff. Perhaps, you know, don't hug everybody you know. Right, and? If you are going to hug somebody, restrict it to very small numbers of close family who perhaps you, you really value a hug from. Really value a hug from. So restrict it to small numbers of family who you really value a hug from. So I want you now to start looking at your family, okay? Second cousin twice removed, all that sort of stuff. Well, they're out the window, obviously, Cousins, forget about it. Look at your immediate family and, you, and, and, and grade them as to how much you value a hug from them individually. For Monday now. Um, I think don't hug too frequently. Don't hug too frequently. That's right out. Um, keep it short. Short. Try and avoid being face to face. So perhaps um, put you, turn your face away slightly. Turn your face away slightly when you have a hug. This is the most important one now. Turn your face away slightly. So pretend that your huggy, your huggy, the person you're hugging, has a terrible case of halitosis. I have to look that up. Turn your face away slightly. And even wearing a mask could help. <laughs> um, I mean, the reality is, is when you hug somebody, you are very close to them. Yeah. And we know the virus is in people's breath. Yeah. So you are very close to their breath at that moment. Go on, girl. You are very close to their breath at that moment. Did you make a note of all of those points? So evaluate your family in terms of how much you enjoy getting a hug from each one of them. Dad, you're a bloody good hugger, I'll give you that, Dad, but you're not as good as, uh, I don't know, as me sister. That's how you've got to do it anyway, right? Okay, it's exactly 13 minutes past five. Let's leave that nonsense and move right on. England's second rugby team will no longer be called the Saxons because woke rugby bosses think the term is inappropriate these days. There are more black children and children of colour and people of colour playing rugby. So we shouldn't use Saxons to describe the England second team because Saxons is a name commonly used to describe white people. Okay, the Saxons were the Saxons since 2006. Now they're going to be called a very bland England A. That's not going to put the fear of God now in rugby teams, is it? You've got England A on Wednesday. Lovely. We'll smash them. It's not as good as you've got the Saxons, is it? Anyway, the RFU feels there are more black and minority people playing rugby. The same RFU has been encouraging fans not to sing Swing Low Sweet Chariot because of its links to slavery. England fans have been singing that for years, but not anymore. Now, on a related matter, a woman called Shola Moss Shogbamimu, Shola Moss Shogbamimu, now she's a clever woman, but a bit of an idiot. She's a Nigerian political commentator, author and lawyer. Very qualified woman, very well-spoken woman, but she's a bit of a need. She speaks on media regularly on issues of race, diversity, equality and inclusion. She was on Jeremy Vine this afternoon on BBC Radio 2 to talk about racism and white privilege because she has a book out, don't you know, that tells us we are all privileged and subconsciously racist. Made me laugh anyway. Shola Mas Shogbumimu speaking to Jeremy Vine. If you leave out people who read your book and agree with every word, there will be people who disagree on two main things. They, and yeah. This is people who are white. They'll read it and say, wait, I'm white and I'm not racist. Or they'll read it and they'll say, I'm white and I'm not privileged. And they might be right, mightn't they? So, first of all, those who say, I'm white and I'm not racist, 
there are white people who are not racist. I mean, I think my, my book makes very clear not all white people are racist. I mean, that's not what this is about. But the way racism works is it doesn't matter if you are um, white and you like black people. You have to then work that much harder to, to be visibly anti-racist. And for those who say, I am white and not privileged, well, that is not true because you have privilege because you are white. Well, that's the, key, so that's the key bone of contention for a lot of people, isn't it, with your book, yes. which is the idea that just by being white, you have privilege. And if you are yes. white, you have that privilege. And there isn't because of your skin color, because a lot of people who are white don't feel that privilege. Oh my goodness! Then let's use this opportunity to to clear this up. Oh, I, let's clear it up. I I hope people understand that privilege simply means advantage. Okay, <sighs> we live in a society that caters to whiteness. So white privilege. Okay, so well, first of all, privilege means there are different kinds of privilege. You can have um, wealth privilege, all kinds of privilege. White privilege basically is that white people will. <laughs> it gives. She laughed herself there. It gives white people an advantage because of their color, the color of their skin, over those who are not white. The advantage of this privilege means white people will always be insulated by a media that is biased towards them, will never experience police racial brutality, will never deal with violent stereotypes associated with their race, and they will never experience workplace racial discrimination, i.e. based on their race. They will never have their lived experiences denied or treated with suspicion because they are white. There's so many examples to give. They, I think people have to understand, those who read my book and don't understand why what white privilege is, that's that is has to be the it has to be the genesis of their thinking. They need to understand what white privilege mm. is and how it works. We need to know what white privilege is. Did you catch that bit at the beginning? It doesn't matter if you are um white and you like black people, you have to then work that much harder to to be visibly anti-racist. Wow. This is really important. I've talked about this quite a bit. It doesn't matter if you are um, white and you like black people. You have to then work that much harder to to be visibly anti-racist. It's one of the most dangerous modern ideas, this. That it isn't good enough to just be a nice person and to not give an arse about somebody's ethnicity, their colour or their background. That's not good enough. It's not good enough to like black people. You've got to be visibly doing stuff to prove to us that you're not racist. This is crazy stuff now. And predictably, Jeremy Vine didn't rip her a new, well, a new arsehole, which is what I would have done, because that's poppycock. That's nonsense, is what that is. She then had a story. You see, they're teaching young people of colour to be victims and to allow the state basically take control of them, of every asset, every facet even, aspect of their lives. Listen to this example. You know, if you and I, okay, you're a man, so say me and a female, a white female producer from BBC Radio to walk into a store, right? Mm -hmm. Now, between me and this white female producer, the only thing, the only thing the person can see is a white woman and a black woman. They can't see, it's not written on our foreheads, who we are, how much we earn, what we can afford, what we can't afford. But you know that 90%, if not 99% of the time, I will be the one that will be followed by the security person. Well, not I do, the you white know, person. To be honest with you, I'm, I'm... Before we hear Jeremy Vine's bullshit story, why are they teaching black people or people of colour to cry and whinge and complain and to be victimised if they believe they are being followed unnecessarily by a security guard in a shop. Why? 
Why don't they teach young people of colour to take control of that situation? Why don't they teach them to use their natural sense of humour, their natural ability to talk to people, to approach the security guard and say, hey, listen, can I help you there, mate? Anything I can do for you? Why am I asking? Well, you seem to be following me around the store. Don't play the victim. Ask him. Don't mention theft. Don't mention anything. Just say, "What? What are you, are you here to help me? Would you like to carry my basket? I don't know why you're following me around. Is there anything you can tell me? Is Have I got a booger hanging? Have I got a booger hanging? Do I need to wipe my nose? What is it? Don't teach children to be victims. Teach them to be assertive. Not to fall back on the state to protect them from, well, from prejudice. Teach them to approach the security guard. Hey, pal, what's going on? Can I help you there, you know? That's what I would tell somebody I knew if they were complaining about stuff like that. This is mad stuff. Hey, listen, to join in, will you hear Jeremy Vine joining in? This is brilliant. He has to virtue signal. I'm a little... Jeremy has to understand. A little bit blind to that because I, I, I don't walk in your shoes so the fact that you're telling me that is still amazing to me but I had an experience in oh, South- he had an experience in South Africa which made me think when I used to work there where I crossed the road and you know the part the cars are all in a traffic jam and nothing happens my friend Milton crosses the road he's black and all the cars lock their doors when he crosses the road so I, I just do not believe that for a minute Vine says that uh <laughs> He was in South Africa. His black friend Milton crossed the same street as he did. And as Milton was crossing, Vine could hear everybody locking their car doors. That's just horseshit, isn't it? Even in apartheid South Africa. I'm not believing it. Hey, listen, before we get Aidan Killian on, a very interesting story on Fox and Friends. Yes, very right wing for me, but I watch everything. Fox and Friends had a story this morning about about three students who have been or were suspended by the University of Massachusetts. Why? Because they were photographed off campus at a meeting where they weren't wearing masks. And another student sent a photograph of them off campus, nothing to do with the university, sent a photograph to the uni of the three kids with no masks. And well, listen to Fox News, this is interesting stuff. That's uh, a bit bizarre. The parents of three freshmen at the University of Massachusetts at Amherst say their daughters lost out on a semester of classes, tuition, and housing for next year, all over picture, this picture posting online showing the students maskless at an off-campus party. They're hoping to avoid filing a class action lawsuit against the school after it suspended the students for the spring semester and refused to refund their $16,000 tuition. They couldn't even remote learn. Those parents join us now. There's Kristen, Betsy, RJ, and Teresa. Uh, Kristen, let's start with you. What did you think of the picture? Good morning, Brian. Um, What did I think of the picture? I thought the picture was, I thought the picture was cute. Um, That picture got them thrown out of the school. Just for Um, not having a mask? For, they went to a gathering off campus on a Saturday. They took a picture. And another student uh, posted, uh, screenshotted that picture off Instagram and sent it to the administration. So that picture virtually got them kicked out of school. Betsy, uh, when that picture popped up and the ramifications uh, began to come in, what are your thoughts? Um, well, first of all, thank you for having us no and, and helping us to share our story. I mean, this has obviously devastated three families. Um, but for us, you know, we live in Maryland, my daughter and I. This picture popped up and 
the university was swift and fierce in their actions. They gave my daughter less than nine hours to move off campus, essentially making her homeless, 500 miles from home, with no recourse. Um, they didn't help her. They didn't ask her if she had a place to go. They didn't ask her if she had the ability to get food for herself. Shocking stuff, and who knows how much of it is going on. Interesting stuff that some student dobbed them in. They were off campus, nothing to do with the uni. Wow. Hey, listen, it's 24 minutes past five o'clock. Thanks to French Sophie, eh? And to not-so-French Jean Anne for pointing out that it's Lundi. Lundi is Monday. Lundi in French. That's good, that's good. I remember a lot of my Gwelga. I was a good Gwelga speaker. Uh, when I was in when I was in school, I can still remember the months of the year. Osquelia, Osquelia. It's Anna Fiora, Morta Abron, Bieltina Mehev, Lul Lunasa, Manford Derefor, Sowen Nullig. Those are the twelve months of the year. Osquelia. I've educated you now. You'll never get that on the BBC. That's why it's the BBG. I am the BBG. This is Europe's most listened to independent radio show and this is David Bowie or Bowie back with Aidan Killian top Irish comic next Right, David Bowie's Ziggy Stardust 26 and a half minutes past 5 o'clock the Richie Allen radio show Drive Time Salford I'm excited about meeting my uh, first guest today I really am what an incredible story I told you earlier on he's a comedian and storyteller he's had a terrific career great success at the Edinburgh Fringe and Glastonbury funny guy he is too I've been watching him on YouTube he's currently doing a 32 county tour of Ireland a lockdown tour but if you go on his uh, Twitter look for him on Twitter I'll put a link out to his Twitter by the way you'll see that his bio says Covid asylum seeker refused entry to Ireland for refusing PCR tests. No man or woman can penetrate me without consent. Stuck in France. Well, he's not stuck in France now. He's back in God's country. Delighted to welcome Aidan Killian to the programme. How are you doing, Aidan? I'm doing great, Richie. Good to hear from you. Ah, it's great to hear from you. Great story. Great career you've had so far. You've done some fantastic stuff. Proud of you, proud of you as, as an Irishman. And I have, to, I have to say, I loved your interview with Steve Hughes, the Australian comedian, on oh, YouTube. he's great. He's one of the best in the world. Maybe the best in the world. He's certainly my favourite. Everything he has to say has value. And, and you, it's funny. You've got terrific skill as an interviewer because you brought a lot out of him. It was, it was absolutely fantastic. Hey, do you want to give... <laughs> do, you want to remind, do you want to remind our listeners... Um, Many of them will know you, of course, especially back home. What happened, what went on last year that led to you, you know, stuck in France and trying to get back to Ireland? What went on? Well, I wasn't into the whole COVID thing, so I disappeared like a coward to Amsterdam because at the time they weren't, they, they said that masks don't help. That was the government stance at the time. So I went over there and enjoyed the bars and cafes, everything being open. But slowly they started coming into the same sort of restrictions. And they had their own, they even had a lockdown, they even had a, a curfew in the evening at one stage. So when it got to like uh, January, February, February 28th was the date I was coming back. They had a rule that you had to have a PCR test to get home. And uh, I didn't want to have one. So I went to the airport and I got to the airport and they said I had to have one. And I said, well, hang on a second. You know, what about my rights? Because that's a procedure and I don't want to have a medical test or procedure. And we have human rights, like the Nuremberg Code, the Nuremberg Principles, the Declaration of Human Rights. But they weren't, to be fair, they were very friendly. They were very friendly, and we got chatting to them. 
but she couldn't let me go. She couldn't let me on the plane. Wow. And the explanation was given with the immigration wouldn't let her. And I found out a bit more. Basically, immigration find the airlines. Uh, so I thought, you know what, I'll get the boat. So I went off to, got the train to Paris, got the train from Paris to Cherbourg. And then I tried to get on the boat. And it was the same thing. They wouldn't let me on. They weren't quite as friendly. But they wouldn't let me on that. So then I found a, a loophole. There was a loophole uh, at the time. You could get on it. Each country has different loopholes about how you can get to where you want to go. Uh, so I found a loophole. But they still wouldn't let me on. So I can't tell you the full details. But I got on a vehicle on a boat. And I didn't have to have one. And I got back. <laughs> and I, paid a, I paid a fella to let me on his vehicle. And we got back, I got back and I got home. And I wouldn't mind, but we were actually pulled over by coincidence, by customs. So I was terrified. I was yeah. thinking, oh, no. I was, oh, no. I just refused to swab in my nose. Now I might be getting something else in a different orifice. But anyway, they, they, weren't, they, were, they were just, it was a random check for drugs. And there was nothing. We were obviously clean. We didn't have anything bad. So. Uh, thank God. Uh, so we got home, and then I, then I went touring, and I'm here in Ireland now, with, without my nose being penetrated or interfered with in any manner whatsoever. Brilliant story. It's a great, great story. Uh, you won't hear a better one this week, uh, folks. Aidan Killian is our guest, back in Ireland. We'll talk about the tour in a moment. Hey, by the way, if you like Aidan, you'll like him even more when I tell you that he gave up a career in banking. Now, tell us this. Why did you give up a career in banking? Because I think it might have been around the time of all the skullduggery and all the cheating and all the gaming and the casino banking and all of that. Was that, was that, did that have anything to do with it? I had a teacher who told me, I worked for a company called Bear Stearns. They're kind of infamous now yeah. because they went, they went belly under. And I had a kind of a teacher, like a guide, and he was telling me, this is going to collapse. And I looked at what he was telling me, and I asked a few of the senior managing directors and, and even the CEO in the company. I was in Tokyo at the time, and they didn't seem to know. I think the CEO did, to be honest with you, but they didn't seem to know what was going on. Maybe that's because everybody has one small role, and not you know it's not everybody's job to oversee the whole company. Yeah. But I thought to myself, you know what, I can get a head start here. I can quit and go and do something that I love, and I can always come back to banking if I'm wrong. So I went off and decided to become a comedian. Uh, I was only doing it as a hobby at that stage. Originally, I just wanted better presentation skills because I used to have to speak in Tokyo to all the managing directors, all the senior people. And I thought, you know what? I'd love to be able to speak well without blushing and being embarrassed. So I just did comedy as a hobby. But I fell in love with the sound of laughter, the live performance. So I went back and started doing open mics and living in a squat and lost all my money and then slowly built it up over 10 or 15 years or whatever it was. And, uh, yeah, that's it. I just quit. And, yeah, then 2008, Bear Stearns fell apart. Fell apart. Uh, a few other banks went under. And some of my, most of my friends are still in banking for different companies. And I've no regrets. I mean, there's, there's definitely moments when I miss the, 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 the wage. So I like the big wage coming in every month. But yeah. I didn't like sitting there all day long, you know, ordering Starbucks coffees just to have the sugar and caffeine buzz <laughs> to keep going wow. during these 80-hour weeks. No way. That's for suckers. <laughs> I've, met, I've met a few you know, comedians and I've met a few actors over the years and inevitably you always ask, it's not a boring question, you always ask, how did you get into it? I've never heard an answer as interesting as that. That is amazing. So you you were doing high-powered, let's be honest, high-powered presentations to guys in key positions and to make yourself better at that, you thought, well, what could be more difficult than doing stand-up comedy if I can get over that? Well, I can meet any room full of people. That's amazing, Aidan. Well, that's it. I thought, you know what, if I could stand up and make an audience laugh, then I could definitely stand up and say, 
you know, the, the, the total derivatives that fixed income trades office team did, you know, that week without, I used to, because I was, I was quite junior in comparison to all of the other people at the meetings, because I would have been 26 at the time. And even when I knew what I was talking about, and, and they, 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 you know, say, so Aiden, give us the summary there of the derivative office. And I'd, I'd just come across stuttering and embarrassed. But as soon as I did the comedy, that fear went mostly. I always still had a, there's a small bit of anxiety before performing or standing up in front of crowds, but it's not, not really it's significant anymore. Now it's more excitement, maybe, uh, rather than fear. You are funny, so, by yeah, the way, no, and I'm no, not no, saying no. that. I'm not just saying you're funny because you're here. I don't do that. You are very funny. And, uh, and, <laughs> and you, no, you really are. I'd love to go and see you live. Uh, folks, you can find out more about Aidan, AidanKillian.com. By the way, just check him out. Uh, go to his website. He's on YouTube as well and on, on, on Twitter. So you're in, so you're back home then. Before you tell us about the tour, can you give our listeners a kind of an idea of what this whole lockdown has done for entertainment? For, for live entertainment, obviously, and obviously for the venues that would be hosting live entertainers. What, what has it done, Aidan? Well, they're, all, they're completely gone. Uh, just, just so you know, I, I, you, you might not know this about me. In the, in the last five years, I was in Asia. I was just doing a world tour. This is a very quick version. I met a woman. I ended up staying in Asia longer than expected. I set up a comedy festival. I got involved in a comedy festival, Magnus International Comedy Festival, and it was... 10 countries and, I, and then I set up a comedy club in Singapore so I worked with bars and hotels in all over 10, 10 different countries in Asia and just one after another and some of them are big name hotels you know big names that you know they all closed obviously because there's the regulations forcing them to close in different countries so they're gone a lot of them don't even exist anymore uh, but anyway uh, they won't be coming back the bigger ones probably will of course uh, because they're massive and global chains so they all fell apart, and the business fell apart. And then in Ireland, I had, uh, I'd come back to Ireland at this stage, and I had four different... I had uh, Ardlo Hanlon. You remember him from Father Ted? Yeah, British. brilliant guy, yeah. I had him and Reginald D. Hunter booked, and I had these sold-out events in four different uh, venues around Ireland. They were all sold out, but all then, boom, COVID came, and they all collapsed. Those venues are gone. One of them up the road is closed down, 150-seater, beautiful little venue there in, in Dublin. And so... They're all gone. I don't know if any of them will come back. So you can imagine that's the way it is, not just in Ireland, all over the place. Anyone who does live performance, that's not allowed. So there's no way that they can make money, except probably maybe they get some sort of government subsidy, some of them. But I don't know, really know about that sort of thing. And what are you hearing from the, the performers? performers yeah. The performers don't. I don't get a subsidy. I don't get, I don't get paid anything from the state. Not that I even want the state money. I prefer to do earn a living. I want to have to self-respect and dignity to be able to feed myself and my, and my family you know I don't want to have to beg to the taxpayers you know I wouldn't yeah. be into that if I can avoid it you know I've done it times in my life and that's that's the way it is there's nothing wrong with it but if I'm able to earn a living I want to earn a living you know and I think that's got to be all right you know well you're obviously a grafter to. I mean you're obviously a grafter your career proves that everything you've done in Asia and what you were doing before um, Covid last year Aidan Killian is our guest folks huge interest in this on Twitter Aidan is on Twitter by the way if you look for Aidan Killian you'll find him I'll tweet him in fact I'll follow him uh, shortly uh, thanks to Faisal for tweeting a link to Aidan's interview with Steve Hughes I've retweeted that it's a great uh, look uh, don't um, think again that I was you know kind of kind of kidding you on when I said you've got a great 
way to interview. You're very good. That's very good. That it's a great watch. That so, I, I'd be recommending you do more of that because you look like you really enjoyed it as well. Um, it's good stuff. Tell us then about the tour. Then my I I knew obviously a little bit about you because of what happened last year. Um, we have a mutual friend, uh, the great Jean Anne Crowley, great actress and journalist. And um, Jean Anne was telling me all about the tour. So what's going on then? This thirty-two county tour. So I said, and I sort of said, like, this is going to go on a while. Uh, so I created a show purposely for this. And it's a nice show. It's not just all about, like, ramming down my views on COVID being ridiculous and regulations and lockdown causing more harm than good. It's more subtle. It's a story about visiting my grandmother. For the last time, basically, I used to see her every day or a few times a week. But then they had these rules in the home that you couldn't visit anymore. So my la- I was told I could visit her on compassionate grounds because they said that she might have passed away at Christmas. Luckily, she hasn't. She's in great form and Brilliant. healthier than ever. And now we're allowed to visit her four times a week. So that's much more humane. But uh, during that visit, she told me these Irish mythology stories, which she told me many times growing up. So I shared that story. I had a bit of comedy to it. And, and I took the story around. I worked with this great director, Raphael Roda, in um, Amsterdam. He's very talented. And I created the story in February 28th and I landed, uh, it took me two weeks to get back with all that messing. And then I just toured it ever since. And I've done 20 counties in Ireland. And when I say touring, you can't tour in Ireland because you're not even allowed to travel five kilometres. Well, now it's, I think it's 20, it changes. I think it's 20 kilometres now. So I went through the 20, 20 different counties during those restrictions, you know, with Gardaí, is the police here. And they, they, they pull you over and ask you, where are you going, where are you coming yeah. from? But I wouldn't really be in, I don't like lying to anyone uh, so I try and tell the truth you know so I said oh I'm going home and he goes where are you coming from home and he goes what do you mean and I go well my business closed down so I can't afford the rent in Dublin and now I'm looking for a new home and the fella says to me he goes well where are you staying tonight and I said well I don't know yet but I was hoping I could stay with you <laughs> and fair play, fair play to the guard he goes go on <laughs> go on <laughs> So, so they're not all bad. Most of them don't even want to be out there in the no, street. The Gardaí, no. I've met about six of them now, and I'd say five out of six of them have been very decent and very accommodating. And one fellow was maybe, you know, he got out of the wrong side of the bed that day. But no major. So I, well, I dig in people's gardens. I've digged in a mass rock. Do you remember the mass rocks? Oh, the Cromwell, yeah. Cromwell banned religion in Ireland, and you yeah. weren't allowed to say mass anymore for Catholics, and you weren't allowed to trade, and you weren't allowed to travel five, five miles from your house. Uh, Penal Act 1695, Act Number 5. So I went to a mass rock, and I had families come with children. 40 40 people travelled for, uh, let's say, 35 minutes through this swampy, mountainous land to see the show. And we did a show at, like, midday, uh, under the sun, in a mass rock in County Clare. I've done them in beauticians, barns, kitchens, sitting rooms people's back gardens um, well we did one in the burn this beautiful place and, and also oh Kennedy my Claire, god in Clare yeah Kerry Dingle I'm going to Galway soon Mayo uh, the battle of Moitura this ancient Irish mythology battle took place between Balor evil Balor yeah. and the great hero Lou uh, so uh, I'm going there to do a gig and we're nearly finished I've, I've got about 10 left of the 32 counties and I'm, it's kind of like the Edinburgh Festival you know it's a full on run except this well, time I have is. to drive in it and dodge cops. And dodge the cops. <laughs> There's a touch of Smokey and the Bandit going on there as well as you're, as you're going around Ireland. So tell me this then. You're seeing these beautiful places of our homeland. Would these places be new to you or had you previously toured Ireland in the past? I ask this because to my eternal shame, 
I've not seen much of our beautiful country. And I wonder how much you'd seen before you embarked on the tour. I'd have seen more than half, but I'm definitely seeing new places. I went to Armagh, and I'd never been there before. This young man in his 30s who lived in a camper van. He arranged a gig, was about 16, 18 of us maybe. And I even had to collect my own, my own audience members. Some of them did you? Car, so I collect three, <laughs> Brilliant. Three of the women with all the chairs in the back of my car. Oh, this is great. But uh, we, we did a gig in a place called uh, Carrick Machuk, which I'd never been to. It's this mountain that they say St. Patrick, uh, St. Patrick, the St. Patrick seat. And there's a seat made of stone. Uh, I don't know if nature made it that way or a man did it thousands of years ago. But they say before St. Patrick owned it, it was Satanta, a.k.a. Cúchulain, Cúchulain yeah. uh, who would have been the famous Irish uh, warrior hero. And Cúchulain just so happens to be the son and possibly, so they say, the reincarnated version of Lou, the Irish hero that I was doing the show about. And I didn't even know that until I got there. So it was his seat originally, this and then St. Patrick, I suppose, Christianity came to Ireland and, and took it over the, you know, the, the pagan ways. Are you but I'm learning as I go. And I've definitely seen a lot of beautiful people, a lot of beautiful places. I've done a gig in an ICU nurse's home. Uh, I've done do- in doctor's home, professor's home, beautician's home. Everyone, anyone, any, any, I haven't said no to anyone. Anyone invites me, I go. And I've done Cork three times and Clare three times and Waterford twice. I'm trying to get to 32 counties, but every time I do a gig, they invite me back. And they say I'm the best gig, but I'm the only gig. I'm the only gig. You're the only gig in town. Last year. Yeah, yeah, so maybe that's why. I don't want to get too big a hit ahead. As soon as the other performers start performing, they'll go, ah, oh, he's rubbish. <laughs> no, they won't. They certainly will not. What about how you Thanks. feel about Ireland now, doing this? Have have you have your feelings towards Ireland changed during this run that you're doing? I'd say they have. You know, I'd say they have. I've always had a... You know, my heart's always been uh, for Ireland and I've always felt, you know, uh, Ireland's important for the world and not just for Irish people. Uh, But lately, I suppose I've got to see, I've been privileged and honoured to see the people who are brave enough to exercise their human rights by inviting me for gigs. You know, so I've got to meet, like, people are home educating their children and I've had I've had the guard turn up at a gig there's a bunch of Christians Catholics and Protestants coming together because they're not allowed to celebrate their religion at the moment in Ireland so they came together to sing Jesus songs in the back garden and the policeman comes in and he said what are you doing and she said we're singing songs about Jesus yeah. it was after my gig and the guard goes I don't want to hear about your Jesus I don't want to hear about your religion and that's what upset her because I think she likes the, uh, the Jesus fella and um so I had to go and calm it down, you know. I said, excuse me, Garda, um, maybe I can help here. And he goes, what's your name? Now, my understanding is you don't have to answer any questions to any human being in this world. So you have to be extra calm and extra careful because you don't want to create any more animosity. And I said, well, Garda, I've heard your question, but can I ask you a question? Uh, have you got a warrant here today? And he goes, what's your name? And I go, well, I've asked you the question. Have you got a warrant? I don't need a warrant. And he said, I said, I think you do. He said he doesn't. I don't know if he does or not, but yeah. I presume you do need a warrant to be on someone's land. And he raised his voice now and he said, you're not respecting me. And I said, excuse me, I'm giving you the ultimate respect I can as a man to a man. And he said something very interesting, which I didn't fully understand. He said, I'm not talking to a man. I'm talking to a person. And I didn't really know what he meant by that. I've looked into it since, and I think it's some sort of legalese. No jargon, way. Like a different jurisdiction. Yeah. And I said, well, I'm a man, and I'm speaking to you as a man. And and he goes, what's your name? And I said, am I under arrest? 
And he goes, what's your name? I said, now, Garda, you've asked me that question a few times. I haven't answered on purpose. So I'm going to ask you one more time. Am I under arrest? And he says, no, but you could be. Yeah, but like, it could be snowing in August, but it's not. <laughs> so I said, well, if I'm not under arrest, I'm free to go. And I walked off. And luckily, that was the end of it. I was expecting a letter in the post, but I didn't get yeah. one. Thank God almighty. I hate no that. I hate that, that bullying moment. thing. I've experienced that once or twice, that kind of bullying. Years ago, when I was first kind of when I was kind of living outside of my own home when I when I when I when I left the mother's apron strings and all that I had an encounter with a guard over a TV license and um, the, the, yeah I know I know I know and the attitude was again very hostile and arrogant and threatening and I just thought to myself you know I didn't have your dip- diplomatic skills and your reasonable approach to it which I by the way endorse wholeheartedly Aidan's approach to d- dealing with these things is the best way you can't win with them when you start shouting and bawling that's what they want not all of them as you said earlier on many of them are nice people they're doing the best with this crappy situation that they did didn't cause themselves, yeah. you know. They so don't want to be in it themselves. No, they don't want to be in it. You know, Aidan Killian is our guest. I'm delighted he's on the program. He's a, an Irish comedian and storyteller. He's doing a tour of uh, Ireland at the moment, as he's been discussing. And you just you said something a few minutes ago that really got me. You talked about the 17th century Cromwell banning the masses and people going to the mass rocks. You know, risking death. To, 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 I know to, they would have been the, the priests would have been burnt alive burnt for alive. giving the mass. That's nobody, right. Nobody tried to burn me alive. Thank no, they thank haven't. But but the, but the question is, and I've asked this to Irish journalists who've been on the program. We, we're, we're talking up Ireland here, and I'll always talk Ireland up. But what happened to that spirit? Like it seems to me that a lot of our country men and women are all too willingly going along. With well, insane with, rules. I have, a, I have a different opinion on this. Now. Go on. I had the same opinion. I had the same opinion there a few months ago. But I've been, all I did is put up one Facebook post. And I'm not, I'm not a big famous, you know, comic. I know you've you built me up nicely and I appreciate that. But I'm not like on the telly or anything, you know. And I put up one Facebook post and I've booked, I'd say, 25 gigs from that one post. I haven't even emailed my own email list yet because I couldn't keep up with the amount of gigs. And all of the people I went to, these were strong, open-minded, free-thinking individuals who know exactly what's going on. They know it's all. They all know it's exaggerated. They know the media's lying to them. They're fully awake and they're connecting and sharing food. And these little groups have been meeting every week since November, since, since, since the start of it even, some of them. They're having tapas nights. They're having movie nights. They're connecting with the local people in the area, helping the elderly. They're, you know, you know making sure that the people who are maybe a bit more vulnerable are being looked after and they're making sure that people are gathering and you know feeling connected and those groups that started with two people are now 30 and 40 and brilliant, 50 brilliant. and that's not on the TV I did one radio interview in Ireland and they edited the hell out of it and they made me look like a halfwit <laughs> which right. I still actually found amusing you know but they weren't interested in what I had to say they don't want to hear about all of these people meeting up uh, but if people knew the truth if people saw what was going on, they'd have a lot more respect for the Irish. They wouldn't see them as these subservient slaves, like going around, you know, with two masks and a visor yeah. on in their car on their own. You've kind of put me back in my box there, and that's a good thing. That. Oh, sorry, I, no, I no, 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 no. You're right. Listen, I'm in Salford, and when I left Ireland, I was glad to get out of it. 
I had a lot of, you know, I had a big chip on my shoulder about Ireland. So it's easy for me over here to take the lazy attitude and say, oh, the Irish are just like everybody else. They're going along with it. But no, it's good for you to put me back in my box. It's great to hear that more and more of our countrymen and women are saying, no, we'll, we'll work around this and we'll object to it and we'll stand up to it where we can. I'm delighted to be uh, educated on that, Aidan. I really am. I've got all There's a lot of people now who, yeah. who, are, who are doing it, but they're not getting attention, but they're, they're not even fighting it with conflict. They're just fighting it with their community and they're just gathering people together and I suppose they're, they're reading what, you know, watching videos online and sharing information, but they're really great. These are the people who are nutritionists, herbalists, people with polytunnels, people who home educate. Uh, there's a lot of doctors and ICU nurse in there. She was telling me that there's nobody with COVID in either there. She's, she's been there since the beginning. She refuses to give PCR tests to people. Brilliant. She thinks it's against against uh, ethically wrong. You know, that's not the only one. I know two others as well. So that you, it's just that they're not getting the attention because the media is, well, it's bought and sold. It's the media. It is so. what it is. A uh, question I've been dying to ask you today. Uh, are you keeping a diary? I'm keeping a diary. Uh, I am writing uh, on a blog. On my AidenKillian.com, I have a blog. And it's not fully up to date because I haven't had time because I literally get up in the morning, I go to a venue, I meet the people, I share food with them, I do the gig afterwards, there's a few drinks. I try not to drink much because I can't drink and do everything at the same time, but yeah. I have a drink or two. And then I go to bed in their house, wake up the next morning, have breakfast with them and leave to the next venue. But I have been taking notes and I will get a blog up for each A county. book. A uh, book. Uh, a, a, block, a block. There'll be a book eventually. There'll be a book there eventually. There has to be I'm a sure. book. Yeah. I'd I'm queue ha- up to buy it. A book. But I also have been documenting. I've got, I've got a, about eight shows documented with a brilliant cameraman, Paddy Barron. I'll give him a mention. Paddy Barron, yeah. the cameraman. And he's amazing. So we're going to put that together. I can't afford now to get every you know county uh, documented, but I'm going to get about... I think about 10 of them and we'll turn it into a little documentary and re- we'll release it. That'll be brilliant. So I'm looking forward to that. Paddy yeah, Barron, let's give Paddy a show. How are you doing, Paddy? If you are listening. Yeah, might, he's, he's, might a great, he's a great on. video, man. So I uh, can't ask so you where you are now, can I? I know you mentioned that Galway is on the horizon. Can I? I'm in Dublin. I'm in, I'm in Dublin now for um, You're in two the smoke. more days. Rest. This is my rest period. Although I'm doing my gardening, but I'm resting here in Dublin and then I'll be off to Galway, Mayo and where's the other one? Galway, Mayo, Sligo. Sligo, brilliant. beautiful Sligo where William Yates wrote about uh, so eloquently. And you can go and visit so, your nanny four times a week now, as opposed to all that nonsense at the beginning. That's really I important. Can. Yeah. Yeah, it's really important, not just for, for the elderly, but for the whole country. You know, these the elderly are the wisdom carriers. They're the, they're the bards, if you will. They're the people with the knowledge. And if we lose that, and if they lose the ability to connect with their family and loved ones in the last year of their life, it's very cruel. I know people have different opinions on it. I'm not trying to make anyone you know you know upset them but like it's really not fair what I've seen what I've witnessed it's happened to my grandmother you know such this amazing woman her entire life teaching and going to mass every week and she all she wanted to do was see her family and we weren't able to do that and for me that's kind of what kicked me off with the whole thing because if I can't do that sure what's the point of any of it and I don't believe that anybody gets to tell me that I have to do put anything in my body I've got the right of bodily integrity. I don't believe that anybody has the any authority to claim that I can't see my family ever, under any circumstances. And that's something I'll never accept. And there's no legislation in the world from any king or government that can tell me I can't see my family, I can't eat, I can't travel. It just doesn't work for me. Yeah, so I won't be I won't be having it. 
Fantastic, Aidan. It's been brilliant um, meeting you today, it really has. If I was back home, uh, I'm from Waterford originally, I would have, of course, attended. Um, well, I would have been inviting you around, first of all, and, and, I, and I do mean that. I don't know if you will make your way over this side of the Irish Sea, but if you do, well, there's a bed here for you in Salford, mate. Well, thank you. There's a bit of talk, all right, of me going to Scotland for a tour with the fantastic Phil Kay, uh, who's one of the best comedians ever from the, from the UK, Scottish man. But uh, yeah, so if that happens, I'd love to. I'd, I'll, take, I'll accept that offer. I'll uh, I will be I'll be drinking a cup of tea and eating your food Fantastic. and having a laugh with you. Listen, mate, it was great to meet you. Thanks for uh, for uh, sparing your time today on your day off. Thanks and continued thanks success, Aidan. Stay in touch, mate. Come back any time. Yeah, God bless to you and your listeners. Take you care. too. Bye for now. That was Aidan Killian there, Irish comedian and storyteller. I think a top man. Go to his website, AidanKillian.com. Check him out. If you're back home and Aidan is coming to a town near you, uh, whether that be a house, whether that be like a, a mass rock, go and see him and say hello to him. Brilliant stuff. Great story. Aidan Killian on The Richie Allen Show. It is a Tuesday's programme, the 11th of May. Lovely bloke. Big shout out to my mate, Jean Ann Crowley for helping put me in touch with Aidan there. Jean Ann has been chatting away with Aidan on social media. Cheers, Jean Ann. Yeah. Lots of comments as well on that. Thanks for them. Uh, by the way, let me just scroll on down. Diane, who's halfway between Cork and Waterford. I always balls that up, Diane. Diane's been a guest on the programme before. On the subject of PCR tests, she says, the HSE, that's the Health Service Executive in Ireland, wanted my partner to have a PCR test to be admitted to hospital. I sent them a notice of liability, says Diane. That changed things. Well done, Diane. That's an interesting thing to know. Thanks very much for that. Uh, hi to uh, Debs. How you doing, Debs? Uh, let's scroll on down. Thanks to those of you tweeting out links to to Aidan. Um, Alan says, Richie, I wouldn't feel bad about not seeing all of your country. I ain't been to many places in the UK. Never been to Ireland and it's a ferry ride away. Shame, I've seen more of Poland than some Poles I know, uh, says Alan. Thanks, Alan. It's that thing, isn't it? When, I, when, when we went anywhere, when I was old enough to go anywhere, by myself or with my mates, it was overseas, really. And when I was a youngster, I wasn't so much into the Gaelic games. I became much more interested in the Gaelic games when I left Ireland. You know, maybe I would have travelled more extensively in the country if... I mean, look, I've done... I've obviously been Cork and Kerry. I've been up Galway. I've been, obviously, Dublin. I've done Donegal, of course, Clare. Obviously, you know, Cliffs of Moher. Yes, yes, but, but not much else, really. And it is beautiful. The UK is beautiful. We've got the same... You know, our, our geography is very similar, isn't it? And um, we have beautiful countries, yeah. You don't need to leave... The, I'm not discouraging people from leaving to go on holidays, by the way, but you don't need to go too far. If you want to see beauty, if you want to see spectacular countryside, well, you know, it's just outside your door. I'm in Salford. And what always amazes me, living in, obviously Salford now, but I used to live in South Manchester, you're only 15 minutes in the car, not even really, away from countryside. That's been my experience living in the UK, even living in London. No matter which city you're in, you're only minutes away in your motor from beautiful countryside. 
yeah. Right, Dr. Joseph Mercola has got a new book out. He's a prolific and very successful author. He's also a family practitioner. He is the man who founded Mercola.com. He's very well known. Uh, his uh, publishing company was very kind, sent me the book a few weeks ago. I've read it. It's very, very good. It's very clinical, but also very readable. On the other side of the hour, uh, in a few minutes' time, he will be with us. We'll have a chat with him about the book. And I know some of you are excited because you've been following him for many, many years. In fact, some of you have been following him for far longer than I have. But there you go. Um, here's a tune from George Ezra, if I can get it up. Have I, can I get it up? I can Bit of a technical problem there with the tune. Ah, come on, George, will ya? Just play for me. Make it easy for me. It's a Tuesday. No, George won't play for me. I don't know what's going on. Oh, God, the player has crashed now, has it? Be jeepers. Has the player crashed? These things, you know. Copy with the days of starting out in the radio and cacking it when things went wrong and properly properly car crash radio <laughs> when things broke down. Oh, I tell you, I could never explain that to people. You know, when you're working in a commercial radio studio, you're being paid for it and you're new and you're still nervous and green and things go wrong and you have to fill time and you don't know what to say and you can feel yourself sinking and sinking and now you just don't care because you're just experiencing. So we can rabbit on, can't we? And I can read a few tweets. Yeah, my old player has crashed, so I'm going to have to do something else. Try and relaunch the old player there. Yeah. You see, this wouldn't have happened when you had turntables with vinyl. This wouldn't have happened when you used CDs. If a CD skipped, you had another CD, another cartridge in another player. So you just played it. But now that it's all digital... And when it breaks down, well, it's not so easy. Anyway, I'll read a few tweets. It's BBG Richie on Twitter. And I'll also remind you that Gerald Salente will be back with us tomorrow. That's tomorrow, Wednesday, second hour, I think. I missed him last month. Always good to get the uh, trends in the news from the great Gerald Salente. That's tomorrow, Wednesday. Not sure about Thursday yet. I don't know what the hell's going on Thursday. Anyway, Mark says, Richie, I was just going to type that, Richie. In the UK, you're never too far away for, from even some lovely, beautiful, scenic countryside. Roberts says, Pirate Roberts says, Australia is beautiful also. Everywhere on the planet, beautiful. It's nice to appreciate your backyard, however he says. Okay. Shall we try George Ezra again? Now, if it doesn't play this time, you will hear. You'll hear. You'll hear the baseball bat. George Ezra, Paradise. My love, my lover, 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 I'm in paradise. Running through your bloody veins, you know it's love heading your way. George Ezra, Paradise, on your Richie Allen radio show, which is live as always, live from Salford in the Northwest. If the program, if you're coming to the program halfway through, remember it's archived on Podomatic.com, RichieAllen.Podomatic.com. Simple as that. That's the way to uh, that's the way uh, to to get to the program, the podcast. Your podcast provider, though, will give you the Richie Allen show, whether that is Podbean or iTunes or Spotify. So do check it out. In a couple of moments, I will be joined by Dr. Joseph Marcola. I'm being told by Patricia that Dr. Marcus Bruin um, 
uh, has had his Twitter closed down. Is that right, Dr. Marcus De Bruyne? He's a lovely man, lovely doctor from Rush in Dublin. He's been on this programme a few times. We like Marcus. That's news to me. I'll have to check that out. I wouldn't be surprised. It's an outrage. Uh, it's an outrage. I'm not going to be melodramatic. It is an outrage that a man or a woman of medicine can have a an account deleted by a tech company because that doctor expresses an opinion that is verboten. It's an outrage. It's an outrage. William Henderson is a Scottish gentleman and is a listener and supporter of this programme. Uh, William says, Richie, I had my YouTube channel deleted today after getting a third strike for medical misinformation. I just wanted to let you know that you have been a big inspiration, he says uh, to me. He had 4,000 subscribers. Would you believe that? 4,000 subscribers did uh, William Henderson. It's exactly four and a half minutes past six o'clock. This is your Richie Allen radio show, live from Salford. Let's welcome my next guest to the programme. He's no stranger to you. He's got a massive following, not only in the United States, but also in Europe. He's the founder of Mercola.com, a respected family physician and a best-selling author author. He's the man behind the new book, The Truth About COVID-19. The publishing company very kindly sent it to me a few weeks ago. It's an excellent read. It's clinical, but it's also very readable. The Truth About COVID-19. A big welcome to Dr. Joseph Mercola. Dr. Mercola, welcome to the programme. How are you? I'm doing great. Thank you for having me. Hey, is this video or audio only? It's audio only today. We're radio, which is good for me. I'm not the the best looking guy in town. But uh, no, thanks. It's radio. It's radio today. So uh, no, great to have you on. The book is excellent. I want to jump straight in. I wouldn't say that if I didn't mean it, by the way. I want to jump straight in to to the genesis of the virus and the laboratory, because I know that you've looked at this very carefully. You've looked at it from every possible angle and you believe it, it originated in a laboratory. Tell us about that, doctor. Well, there's a there's a lot to discuss here, and I don't really want to focus on that because, in my no. view, that is a relatively minor aspect of the whole process. But it's intriguing. Yeah. We first posted this information in February of last year with Francis Boyle, who's a uh, a prominent attorney who was responsible for signing a ban, a, a ban on a, a global ban on uh, bio warfare, and with some pretty significant penalties. But anyway, that was totally disparaged. We discredited. We were conspiracy theorists as a result of that. And interestingly, now, over a year later, mainstream media is starting to accept this because the evidence is overwhelming. It's, it came from the Wuhan Virology Institute, which is a biosafety level lab four. Uh, and there's only, I think it's the only one in China. We've got several in the United States, but it's the only one there. They've been uh, documented and funded by even Fauci to do this uh, gain of function research. And it was it was clearly accidental, well, leaked out of the lab. Whether it's accidental or intentional, no one knows. I don't know if we'll ever know, but clearly it came from the lab. The evidence is incontrovertible. Yeah, no doubt. Tell us about the, ver- because one of the things, there's, there's an excellent passage in the book about turning the tide. So you talk about the importance of understanding the origins, nature, virulence, prevention and treatment of COVID. The treatment is a huge story. We'll come to that. We'll talk about PCR testing as well. Talk to us, Dr. Marcola, about the virulence of it. This is contentious in Europe. How serious is coronavirus, COVID-19? Well, the seriousness has been uh, outrageously 
exceeded in the claims of the public health officials and the mainstream media. Clearly, people have passed away from this. There's no question about it. But people pass away from viral infections every year. This is no mystery. Uh, we have 50, 80,000 people died annually every year as a result of the flu infection. So this uh, people, people, as I said, have passed, but the the numbers have been grossly overinflated, grossly overinflated. And I don't know what the most recent estimate is, but I believe it's it's north of 500,000 that have claimed, at least in the United States, to have been uh, succumbed to COVID-19. But then how did they come to these numbers? Well, they it's all about how you define a COVID-19 death. And the definition they're using is a, a test that has been uh, manipulated to produce enormously increased numbers of false positives. And the way they do this, the PCR test you referenced earlier, which is short for polymerase chain reaction, it became of age, uh, not of age, but it was introduced shortly after the AIDS epidemic in the 80s. And uh, Kerry Mullis is the guy who's actually recently passed away, who invented this technology, and I believe he received a Nobel Prize for it. But he even said really clearly that uh, it should not be used for this type of diagnostic assessment. But nevertheless, they're doing that. And the, the, this, the test allows you to amplify or increase exponentially the number of viral particles so that because normally they're just not present in large enough quantities to do any type of analysis. So you amplify it, you, inc- you, you increase the numbers in there. And the, the, the level, number of times you increase it is known as the CT or cycle threshold. And typically, it should be about 25 to 30, but they were amping this up to 45. So just, just any any type of artifact in there just virtually is going to give you a false positive. Bad so, science, doctor. Is that bad science? Is that bad practice? Or was there something else going on there? Well, it's a little bit of both, I suspect. Uh, I believe there's some um, intention here designed to promote a narrative, which is really the most important part of the equation. And on my perspective, it is the push, the, the massive propaganda and lies and brainwashing that's being done to push people to get this vaccine. That was the whole intention. Any other potential intervention therapeutically was dismissed as a conspiracy theory, discredited, misinformation, you were censored or banned or deplatformed or all of the above. If you even suggested anything that the other than the vaccine was the right solution, and masking and social distancing and lockdowns. I mean, none of which have probably any difference in, in the outcome of this disease. Wow. And as a man of science, as, as a doctor yourself, how frustrating is that? How scary is that when physicians, when qualified men and women mm-hmm. are not only being banned, it's bad enough to be banned or to be deleted, but ridiculed you know, through the media and have your life's work laughed at. And I don't mean you now, but I've spoken to everybody. Sure. Kuldorf, I've had them all on this programme, Bakti in Germany. That can't be a nice place to be. Well, not not really. But when you understand the complete picture, it's exactly yeah. what you predict. It's exactly what you expect. This is no mystery that this is going to happen because it's their, it's their play. And this is literally a war. This is a war for humanity. And... The war is against global tyranny versus slavery of virtually the entire global population versus personal freedom and liberty. That's the war. 
That is the war. That is what we are fighting against here. You get into it in the book. I'm going to mention again, we're, we're discussing the new book, The Truth About COVID-19, Dr. Joseph Mercola and Ronnie Cummins. It's a very good book. It really is. It's an important read. I've got it here in my hand. The vaccines then, uh, Dr. Mercola, what are they? You see, my listeners are like, well, which I'm not anti-vaccine. What are these things, these mRNA vaccines, these treatments that they want us to take that are putting so much pressure, especially here in the UK, enormous pressure? You wouldn't believe oh, it, sure. Dr. Mercola. You know, letter after letter after letter, text message after text message, come and have your bloody jab. What's going oh, on? Sure. What are these things? Well, I think it's a mistake to call them a vaccine, even though conveniently the, the, many of the dictionaries have updated their definition to include this as a vaccine, but it's not a vaccine. It's a gene therapy intervention, uh, or actually gene intervention, because therapy would imply some type of benefit, and I don't think there's any benefit. It's only complications and problems and potential death. So um, it is, uh, as you mentioned, it's messenger RNA. It's never been used before. But before I go into the vaccines, I just want to address that last comment, which was, which was spot on. And it's, it's something that many people miss or fail to understand. They're, they're being bombarded with this messaging. Yeah. Do you think that this, for any minute, that this messaging comes for free, that they're just doing it out of the benevolence and the goodness and kindness of their heart? No, this is paid propaganda in the United States they are spending more than $3 billion, they being the U.S. government. Who funds the government? The U.S. taxpayer. So this average citizen is spending $3 billion to promote this propaganda, which is just mind-blowing. It's mind just blowing. free advertising for these drug companies, which are making tens of billions of dollars. Their profits have increased dramatically. Moderna, which is one of the two, and, and Pfizer are the two initial ones, which uh, were introduced. I mean, they never, this is their first product commercially available. They never produced anything. It, it's just, it's just beyond crazy. So anyway, this is a gene intervention. Um, they, there's so many different ways we can go. That's why I'm stumbling to figure out where, where, which one do I want to attack first, you know? Yeah. But just, just the, the process of, of it, the introduction of these vaccines, the, the, you this is classified as an unprecedented vaccine, not just because of SARS-CoV-2. There's a variety of other interventions that could be, and, and it's a very special type of vaccine, which typically means you need 12 to 15 years to prove that they're safe and they work, safe and they work. And then even if you go through all that outrageous work and effort in, in science, the, the predicted success rate in an unprecedented vaccine is somewhere about two or three percent. So somehow, magically, they eliminated that 13, 12 to 15 year period down to less than a year, less than a year, no animal trials, no safety trials, and it's 93 to 95% effective. That's the claim that they make. So what is it 93 to 90% effective against? It's effective against lowering the symptoms. At least that's what their safety studies show, yeah. lowering the symptoms. It's not effective against getting infected. It's not effective against building herd immunity. None of that. None of it was ever proven or shown in their trials. None. Zero. And, and even with that, they conflated. Uh, I, th I believe you've had Ivor Cummings on your podcast, right? Yeah, Ivor's been on, yeah. Yeah. So so he, he talks really brilliantly about the difference between absolute 
risk and relative risk. So what they are showing is relative risk. So it's a, a relative reduction of 93%. When the absolute, the decrease is about probably one or 2%. So even in their fatally, fatally flawed, hyper operation warp speeded up trials, it, it, the results are not very impressive. But even that, it, it, it just continues to escalate in the outrageousness of how they think they could ever the hell get away with what they're doing. There were no pregnant women in these trials. None of them, even, you know, just healthy individuals, no pregnant women. Isn't that but standard, though? Is it, isn't it standard not to include pregnant women in vaccine trials? You would think so, right? Yeah. Standard, right? Because it's too dangerous for pregnant women. But even with that understanding, three weeks ago, the CDC, Center for Disease Control, in the United States said, oh, we think pregnant women should get immunized. Yeah, that's right. I, I mean, this is reprehensible, criminal medical behavior. These people should be thrown in jail. And, and we are experiencing at least 30% spontaneous abortion miscarriage rates because of this. Normal, Normally, it's probably less than 5%. I wouldn't they be doing are, my job no, now. I wouldn't no, be doing my job if I didn't ask you. How do you know that? It's, it's reported. It's, it, you you can it? look it up. I mean, here, first of all, let me tell you. I just interviewed uh, Chris, Martin Crispin, Mil Crispin Miller, who's a, uh, a professor of... Uh, out at New York University, and he teaches was teaching a propaganda course, and they cancel cultured him out. Not cancel cultured him out. Wow. Now he not, and basically fired him. So he's suing suing them. But he, this propaganda course, and, and so I'm really was intrigued with his his story, his conversation. But it's propaganda. One of the things he tells his students is, listen, you can listen to me, you can listen to mainstream media, but do your do homework, do your yeah. diligence. There's propaganda on both sides, and you need to do the homework. It's almost impossible to do the homework on this vaccine because anything that opposes what they want you to believe is censored and taken out. Yeah. You've got to go to obscure places like your side, like BitChute. I mean, stuff, stuff that will never show up in Google or YouTube. They just don't. You've got to use alternative search engine. You've got to be in the know. To have sites like mine and like many others, I am clearly not the only one spreading this message. There's a number of us truth tellers who are being hurled, and, and you're one of them. And I don't know what they're doing to censor you, but it's it just makes it more of a challenge to, to what, spread. The, the, the great thing about the book is the book is brilliantly. There's a brilliant index in the book, so everything that's claimed by Dr. Joseph Mercola in the book is referenced. You, you can follow it. That's why I asked you the question about the miscarriages. Uh, I knew you'd have an answer. Look, we, yeah, we that, that, that is newer information. That yeah. that information came out subsequent to the publication of the book. I was watching Tucker Carlson on Fox News. Uh, before I do oh, that, oh, I, I, just before I do that, let me again. Uh, Great stuff. Chelsea Green in the UK, The Truth About COVID-19, Dr. Joseph Marcola, Ronnie Cummins, available at all good book retailers uh, here in the UK and Europe, and all good online ones as well. I'm endorsing it. It's a very clinical, but also very readable. Not often do doctors write books that are very readable, but this is a very readable book. It's very easy to yeah. understand it. So, so thanks for coming on to chat about it. Yeah, I wanted to talk... Um, what did I want to talk about next? Very, very, oh yeah, I wanted to talk about Tucker Carlson. What, what, it's wonderful that he did that program last, I think it was last Thursday or Friday. So the VAERS reporting system in the United States mm -hmm. is showing thousands of deaths. Thousands, Doctor. Oh, I'm definitely going there, 100%. Yeah. We're going there for sure. I mean, and okay. of course, he, he's horrified by it. He's like, why are we not hearing about this? Why haven't okay. they suspended it's, it's it? It's even worse than he said. And I'll tell you why. I don't know how old Tucker is, but I don't think he 
he may not have been alive when the, the he may have been, but he was a young child, I'm sure, when the, the swine flu epidemic occurred in the late 70s. I was a first year medical student then. And this was the time when there was not a vaccine uh, liability limitation. That's the other issue of this. All of this, they could kill millions of people and not be not be responsible legally for any damages, zero, because they have complete immunity and insulation from liability. But that that law was passed in 1986. In the late 70s, that law did not exist, and there was a similar, not quite as severe because it wasn't a global shutdown, but a fairer concern, a worry that the, the swine flu was going to kill so many people. Yeah. Well, so they recommended the vaccine the, and they recommended it to everyone. And they, I don't know how many, it was tens of millions of people who were, who were vaccinated or immunized against it, but they wound up killing 58 people, 58 people. And then the government stopped the program because of the deaths and some other autoimmune diseases like Guillain-Barre syndrome. They, the government was going to fund the liability. They wound up paying between three and four billion dollars in damages for this vaccine. Okay, fast forward 40 years later, right? 40 years, 43, 44 years later. We got this COVID-19 vaccine. 58 deaths from swine flu, approaching in the United States over 4,000 deaths. 70 to 80 times more deaths than the swine flu, and they're still going with the propaganda to have everyone get this vaccine. If I don't, that to me is the epitome of outrageous craziness. How could they do this? I mean, this, this, any, this, this is worse than, than they did in Germany because there's no doubt in my mind more people will die from this vaccine than will die from COVID. And it's not acutely. We've only had 4,000. 4,000 is what they're reporting. This is the VAERS database, which has been around since for over 30 years. So you might say, oh, this is fake narrative. People are reporting deaths and they're not true. Well, it's been around for, for almost 40 years and it hasn't happened in the past. Why would it happen now? Not only do we have 4,000 deaths from, from this vaccine, but those deaths exceed all the deaths from the deaths from all the other vaccines put together for the last 15 years. That's the last 15 thing, yeah. years. Yeah. It's insane. It's absolutely insane. And they're not stopping this. This is a crime against humanity. Here's a, here's a, here's a, here's a counterpoint. I've got to do this. I wouldn't again. I wouldn't be doing my job if I didn't do it. So the yeah, B- so, so the BBC and others in this country are beginning to claim that vaccines. I, I'm a vaccine skeptical person. Me. I wouldn't I wouldn't describe myself as anti-vaccine, but I'm skeptical. Sure. I will not be having any of these um, yeah. things. I you're smart. Because I'm smart enough to look around and to listen to people like you and Dolores Cahill and others. So I wouldn't have one. So the BBC now and The Guardian in the UK, they're saying mm-hmm. that guys like me, pre- presenters like me, we are encouraging conspiracy theorists to mm-hmm. fall, sure. to falsify reports on the yellow card system, which is the UK version of theirs. They're saying that we're going to go on there because we're so anti-vaccine that we'll put false reports of vaccine deaths on theirs and on the yellow card. That's what sure. they're saying. Yeah. Okay, I, I get that. that. That is a valid approach. And as I said, when you're evaluating propaganda on either side, you've got to look at the facts. Well, this is one fact that is really, really easy to check. You look at the deaths, you look at the name, you look in the paper to see if the person died. How easy it's, and, and yeah. look, look it up. I mean, most of the, I mean, I've got links I can show you of hundreds and hundreds of 
local newspaper stories reporting this. And all of this is suppressed in the mainstream media. Yeah, all yeah. of it's suppressed. So you can independently verify. If you have the time, effort, and energy, and willingness to, to disprove this, you can figure it out yourself. I'm telling you, don't believe a damn word I say at all. Check it out. Look it up. Make your own decision. You're responsible. I'm not responsible for your decision. You are. So I'm just telling you things that the other side is failing to do. In fact, it's worse than failing to do. They're actively suppressing any counter narrative. Listen, there's a great distinction to be made here. Your claims in the book are referenced and sourced. It's there in black and white. The BBC makes claims about conspiracy theorists and doesn't offer a shred of evidence to prove that people are falsifying uh, these reports. So I don't buy the BBC or The Guardian or any of that nonsense. Um, Dr. Tess Laurie was on the programme with me some weeks ago. Dr. Tess, very well known. Um, she evaluates medicines for safety and for efficacy. She's done it for the World Health Organization in her time. She's a lovely lady. She has screamed bloody murder in the UK. She's told the government, she's told doctors that ivermectin is really good. It's very safe. It's very effective. And yet she cannot get a hearing from anybody in the UK. You've written about ivermectin in the book. Yeah, there's, there are many other alternatives to that. I'm not a big proponent of drugs, but it is pretty shocking that the conventional medical system and mainstream media chooses to even suppress drug-based therapy as a solution for this. Yeah. There is no doubt in my mind that ivermectin works, as does hydroxychloroquine. Uh, and they, they're certainly better than what they're proposing. I think there's even simpler, safer, and less expensive solutions, though. That can be done, and, and we can discuss those. Yeah, do yeah, if, please. If you're in a bind, yes, ivermectin. Personally, I wouldn't use it, but I, I would not uh, chastise someone or discourage someone who thought that they would would benefit from it. And I'm sure they that it helps many many people. But but it's it's beyond intriguing to me to see that they go to the extent to even diss the uh, the drugs. And it's interesting because. Uh, Part of it, I mean, it's not true for ivermectin because Trump had nothing to do with it, but Trump early on was promoting hydroxychloroquine. And that because he said that, they went even so far as to spin off an absolute fake and subsequently retracted study in one of the most prestigious medical journals in the world, The Lancet, yeah. that had fraudulent data submitted by Surgisphere, absolute fraudulent data to prove that hydroxychloroquine didn't work, and the WHO, the World Health Organization, used that study to justify uh, essentially banning the use of hydroxychloroquine worldwide for the for the treatment of COVID-19. And even after that study, fraudulent study, was retracted, they continued to ban hydroxychloroquine. The lies were unbelievable, weren't they? Last April 23rd, I mean, I'm, I'm no fan of any politician, uh, let alone Trump, no, none of them. I don't um, have any yeah, yeah, less course. time for Trump than anybody. But last April 23rd, he asked off mic, he asked about disinfectant. Might have been a silly question. Who cares? It doesn't matter. The media told lies. They, they, they're still telling those lies that Trump told people to drink bleach. He didn't. He never told people to drink bleach. It's an absolute lie. Oh, Dr. Mercola, yeah. news coming in. Spiro Skouras is a journalist based in Arizona. Yeah, he's a good friend. You know Spiro. He's a top man. Uh, he's just sent me a message. The Brazilian health regulator, this is from Reuters.com, is urging the country to stop giving the AstraZeneca vaccine to pregnant women. And this endorses what well, you were saying earlier on. Thank God some country woke up. 
I mean, I'm telling you, the 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 the, the, the the authorities who recommend that should be in prison. They should be in prison. They should the licenses revoked. They should they should be prison for life. They should never be allowed to have any regulatory function or authority. This is this is crimes against humanity. What they're doing, absolutely. Before we move on to talking about where you think this is all leading, which you get into in the book, The Great Reset. Before we do that, um, Dr. Joseph Marcola is our guest, by the way, folks. We're talking about the book, which I've got here, The Truth About COVID-19, written by Dr. Marcola and Ronnie Cummins, uh, published in the UK by Chelsea Green, all good online retailers. Here's a $64 million question everybody wants to ask or wants answered. You see, I meet a lot of people, as you do. They're nice people. They think programmes like mine are insane. They think we're, you know, a bit loose be a bit silly, a bit, you know, a bit crazy. And they say, Richie, why, why, you want me to believe that uh, the, the scientists advising the UK government, the scientists advising the French and advising the American government, that they're all liars. Why should we believe that? Why should we listen to Dr. Maricola? Why should we listen to Martin Kuldorf from Harvard? Surely these guys are not all telling lies. And th- this is the question they keep asking me. It's, it's a rational question. It absolutely yeah. is. Because, and that's, that's part of the problem with propaganda because the, the, the alternative, if you accept what we're saying, is so preposterous that it, it's very difficult to accept it because as a result, you go into denial. So it, it can't be that. It can't be. It, it, could, it would never be that bad, but it is. And you just have to do the due diligence, the, the study, you know, break away from whatever you're doing and take the time to do the analysis. It's out there. You fact check it. You do the homework yourself. Yeah. I mean, that, that's what it is. But but the, the, I, the, the broader uh, answer to your question is that this is the very clever and sophisticated strategy that's being used because the basically this was all initiated through the World Health Organization, which is in large part previously and, and I mean, funded by Bill Gates, who's directing much of this, this narrative and, and the, and, uh, the uh, Klaus Schwab uh, out of Davos and the World Economic Forum, a lot of other billionaires are behind this. And uh, there's, you know, they're, they're able to convince key individuals. This is the way they, they worked in the pharmaceutical industry. It's a very well-designed, sophisticated strategy. They capture through uh, essentially uh, paying very large sums of money to key people. And it doesn't take many, and it doesn't take a lot of money. You think it might take billions of dollars. No, it's just many, in most cases, just a few hundred thousand, hardly ever over a million. But you pay it to a few, few key people, and essentially they're captured. I mean, Gates has done this with with the, the media. I mean, I mean, he's massively funded The Guardian, that which is, you know, they're he a captured has. media. They're not going to tell you the truth. The New York the Times is captured. So... Um, and as a result of that relatively minor investment, they can direct the narrative that's being that's, that that's, that they want to promote. It's a very good so, answer. Yeah, it's a good that, answer. That's the, that's the short answer, but it's much more complex than that. Well, look, I, I don't know how long more you're going to stay with us. My program ends at the top of the hour. I don't know how much more time you have. I know you've got loads of these to do. And I'm enjoying yeah. having you on. Dr. Joseph Mercola is our guest. Before we talk about what you think the Great Reset is, here's a brilliant question asked by a great friend of mine. Why is it laziness? You see, we have family. You have family. I have family. We have old friends. You'll have old school friends. And you mm-hmm. say we want them to do their research. Why do they not do their research? Is it laziness? Have they been conditioned somehow to be lazy and to be propagandized? Why? It's a tough well, one. Well, 
I don't know that it's laziness. Is it's a matter of they've they've made choices and they've chose to trust certain uh, sources of information as valid and true, and and they just don't bother to question. As I mentioned earlier, the these outrageous conspiracy theories, which is actually a term developed by the U.S. military to discredit. Uh, you know, anything that opposed what their their story was. And the military is behind a large parcel of this. There's no question. They've had captured agents in the uh, the media after there was a whole operation called Operation Mockingbird. But yeah. they control a large part of this. And, you know, th so there are really good investigative reporters out there, journalists who really want to do their work. And there's a lot of them out there now, like Matt Taibbi and Glenn Greenwald uh, in the past or Cheryl Atkinson. And when they go to do their job, they they get the stories that they're writing. These investigations get buried. They just get censored, essentially. Yeah, they so they they are not allowed to do that to do their job successfully. Very good point. Support. I remember years ago, Matt Taibbi uncovered insider trading before September oh, the 11th, sure. and uh, he was um, he, he was censored for that. We, we've got Dr. Mercola. So the the the, the book. Is great. It covers every facet, every aspect of this, from the genesis of the well, virus. Well, it doesn't cover everything because you know that's the problem with writing a book is that it gets outdated pretty quickly. And right. This is a very fast-moving target. And there's so many. Th we talked about a number of them that there's happened so, since the book was published. Since the book is published, it's, gonna, it's going to get worse. It's going to get worse before it gets better. I can I can confidently assure you that. In kind of segueing into the Great Reset, how worse is it going to get? <laughs> I'm not going to make that prediction. I just know it will be worse. I mean, what they, they want is global tyranny. They want to, to take away our personal freedom and liberty. One of the me mechanisms they're seeking to achieve that with is this, this vaccine passport, which is very similar to the social credit system that is deployed in China. China yeah. Essentially, it's, it's a very effective tool to manipulate and control the population and restrict their access to funds and events and uh, and, and force them and manipulate them into doing things that they wouldn't want to do otherwise. So it's not doing that now, uh, you know, but eventually it might be the point if you don't have your vaccine passport updated, you can't even go to the grocery store. That's right. Yeah, the, 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 uh, you, you will be aware of this. The, the, the health secretary, Matt Hancock, and Michael Gove in the UK government, they're about to report back on domestic use of vaccine passports in the UK and as you described there, they are expected to recommend that these passports be used for socialising, for theatre, for cinema. That's yes. tyranny. That is tyranny by any other definition for me. Even at that level, but that's still not too bad because I don't, I don't need to go to those events. Yeah. You know, uh, I mean, you can still live a very healthy, fulfilled life without doing that. But when they start restricting access to absolute necessities of life, then it becomes a real challenge. And you write about the technocratic aspect of all this in the book and yes, where it's meant absolutely. to go with the Great Reset. A technocracy. Yeah. And unchecked then, uh, and if it's unopposed, and of course it is being opposed, you're opposing it. Many more people like you are opposing it, thank God. Physicians, doctors, they might not appear on the BBC, but they are uh, talking on programmes like this and others. If it's left unopposed, what sort of a world are they trying to create for people? What, mm. what, what would it be like? Well, you, you don't have to listen to my projections or estimations. You could just read what they write and say. I mean, they, they, they're not hiding this. It's out in the open. So you go to the World Economic Forum and look at the 2030 agenda and, you know, things like, well, in 2030, you won't own anything and you'll yeah. be happy. We'll own everything and we'll be even more happy or yeah. happier. <laughs> you know, uh, 
you know, and so it's just crazy what their thoughts. I don't understand the motivation to do this. There are some people who believe that they are sincere in their efforts and they're trying to do the greater good for the world. And they believe that we're challenging the, the planet's ability to hold this many people, which I don't believe at all. And as a result, they want to cut down the population, you know, sort of depopulate the world, cut it out a few billion people. And they might be successful with this vaccine. I mean, it's only hundreds of millions of people who've gotten it now, but their goal is to get well over a million. Well, here's another point about the vaccine, which is really interesting. It came up last week. Uh, the Hill reporters noticed, noted it and uh, brought it to light. And that is the fact that the patent protection of this vaccine, which yeah. countries are getting the vaccine? Is it the only countries are the wealthy countries, the countries that can afford to pay the vaccine developers or producers large amounts, tens of billions of dollars. This is not being produced in the, uh, under third world countries. It isn't. And they're asking for it. They have the technical capacity, but they're refusing to share the intellectual property. Uh, to allow them to do this. Where do you think that will go? This is huge. This is hugely interesting now because today in the UK, people are protesting outside AstraZeneca factories and they are demanding that, this is brilliant you bringing this up, they are demanding that AstraZeneca releases the patent. This is incredible. They're calling this um, the people's vaccine. I'm astonished by this. It's it's amazing, right? right? Because if they truly wanted to help the world, this is a war against this, outrageous virus that could wipe out a race, which is nothing is further from the truth. It isn't. But if it was, and they believe that sincerely, then they would want to treat the whole world, not just focused almost all of their efforts on the countries that can pay. Now in the United States, I I don't, I'm pretty sure the vaccine is free. You don't pay for it, but you personally don't. Well, directly, it would be the more accurate way, but we all pay for it. The U.S. taxpayers, because the government is paying them. So they're, they're, they're taxing the people to give tens of billions of dollars to these vaccine uh, producers. Who's Bill Gates? Tens of billions of dollars. Tens what, of, yeah. That's a pretty strong motivation. It's, it's, it is. Who is Bill Gates? Here's the guy who's not been able to eradicate computer viruses. That's not my joke. Uh, that's somebody else's joke. And it's a good joke. Who is this guy? I've seen him on the BBC talking regularly as if he, you're a doctor. You went to medical school. You got your degree. You've practiced for years. Who is this guy telling us about um, about viruses? I don't know who this guy is. And yet he's everywhere. Well, that's a, that's a great question. Unfortunately, there are pretty good investigative journalists and James Corbett of Corbett Report. Yeah. has done like a, I think a two hour series that answers that question specifically and anyone who's objective and looks at this you're going to be shaking your head after you finish this because it answers that question very precisely but you know he clearly has an ulterior agenda no question it, and, and fortunately his halo is virtually evaporated I did an interview with Vandana Shiva from India great lady about, great lady. about a month ago and, you, and if you can st- amazingly it's still up we talked a lot about Bill Gates in that interview and the reason I'm bra- bringing it up is not to brag about it but just to, just to give you a sense of the thought process of the the vast majority of people out there just look at the comments there's almost 2,000 comments on that video I did with you. just go to YouTube type in Vanda Nashiva and me Mercola and it'll come up you read the comments and you'll see 99% of those comments or more know that he's a, a, a creep and he's, he's not a saint and he has got a hidden agenda. They all recognize it. It's crazy. I've just never seen yeah. this type of 
appreciation understanding of, of the the evil agenda that he has on board. And so people are starting to wake up. And I believe that's part of the reason why he was served the divorce papers by Melinda last week. Uh, I mean, I know it was going on for a while, but you know, I, I, and who knows what the specifics are? I mean, but there's certainly a strong possibility that he's using this because he knows he's being attacked. I mean, he would, he was, he, he was villainous when he was the CEO of Microsoft. Oh, yeah. He had the worst reputation ever. So he copied, and I talk about this in my interview with Bandana, Bandana rather, that he copied Rockefeller's strategy, who was viewed equally villainously 100 years ago. So he started to become a philanthropist. And a lot of people bought it, hook, line, and sinker. And now they're realizing it was a mistake. And, and he, he is just, he couldn't be any more in this for the money. One of the biggest... Uh, the opponent says, you know, he donated these tens of billions of dollars. Yeah, he donates it to uh, the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation, who take that money and put it to another That's trust. Right. And that trust is able to invest in companies that directly benefit him. So as a result of this manipulation and tax benefits, he's become, he hasn't Even become richer. less wealthy. He's yeah. become twice yeah. as wealthy as he was before he donated his $50 billion. He got, he got double the benefit. A funny so game to play. Doctor yeah, Joseph. Numbers may be incorrect. I don't know, but it's some extraordinary. No, it's it's it's, it's it's on it's on that um it's on that track. And it, a funny game to play with Bill Gates is use any internet search engine and put the, the name of your local university in alongside Bill and Melinda Gates. They've given money to virtually every university in Europe, yeah. in Western Europe, every academic you can think of. So when we watch BBC News and we see these stooges come out, these stooge academics who are all for the vaccines, and then we put the academic's name into a search engine alongside Bill Gates, we learn very quickly that these people have taken money from Gates in the past as well. Dr. Joseph Marcola is our uh, guest. We're talking about uh, an excellent book, The Truth About COVID-19. Joseph Marcola, Ronnie Cummins, Chelsea Green Publishing. Get it any retailer here in the UK or online retailer. Check it out. Support the independent media. And Marcola.com has been attacked. You've been taken down, haven't you? Yeah. Repeatedly. Yeah. Well, no, no, we haven't been taken down. I mean, they could technically do that. That could be one of the worst outcomes that you sought to have, have an answer for later they could literally shut the whole yeah. the whole internet down if they wanted to they they have the technology to do that it's pretty easy actually they, they've only just censored us essentially limited us from the search engine but our site is still up and running uh due to some threats personal threats that i received uh i had to take remove the uh information about covid and any uh nutrients even though i had published peer-reviewed uh study on it that was <laughs> you know, a very prominent, uh, pr a prestigious journal, I couldn't even put that in uh, because we sell vitamin D. Like, we're going to make a ton of money on vitamin D. And we don't put any links. We don't violate any laws. Yeah, they they yeah. just have these strategies to give you a letter from the FDA that discredits you, but they don't do anything with the, with the letter. They just, you know, just put it out there because they, they captured the FDA. The FDA is absolutely a captured regulatory agency. No question about it. That's, that's well documented. Uh, and it's not just in this area, but anyway, we were forced to take this down. Uh, very shortly, all of the content will be up in a different location. We'll announce it. So it's it's uh, it's this is no victory out there, believe me, because uh, I'm telling you, Richie, it, we win this thing. I, this is the bottom line. 
we're going to win this 100%, no doubts in my mind. This is just some short-term challenges. And as I said, it's going to get worse before it gets better. But there are some very smart, uh, very uh, wealthy individuals that have a plan and it's being implemented right now. So it's not going to happen next week, next month, next year. It's going to take a while, but it's going to happen and we will Clobber these creeps. We wish um, people like um, Reiner Fulmich uh, all the best in, in his efforts. By the way, people on this side of the pond are getting sick and tired of telling people on your side of the pond that it's vitamin, not vitamin, right? It's vitamin, <laughs> not vitamin. And it's dynasty, it's dynasty, not dynasty. Get your act together, Dr. Joseph Mercola, Mercola.com. And we're talking about this book, uh, The Truth About COVID 19. It's lovely to hear the optimism. You think love will win out in the end, that that decency oh, and goodness will always, win out. Love, love, eventually, love always wins out. And, you know, one of, the, one of the philosophies I have of living life is, I mean, it's really easy to get angry with what they're doing. I yeah. mean, this, is, this makes Orwell's 1984 look like a walk in the park. I mean, they've taken it exponentially. But the thing is, it's just there's never a justification for anger. You know, it just isn't. And it's just going to be counterproductive and suck your energy out. So you just it just needs to motivate you to behavior to counter what they're doing and and still do it in love. I mean, that really is is the bottom line. Uh, and you'll be much happier and healthier if you do that because when you get angry, it doesn't help your health. There's no, no question. They, they they've got all the anger and the hate. I mean, they must hate people like you because people like you obviously credible because you're a physician. You've gone gone to uni, university. You've got your degree, and then you spend so much of your life telling people that they don't need to take their drugs that they mm-hmm. can change their diet and that they can eat healthy and look after themselves. They must properly hate you. I mean, they must do. Uh, you know, I, I, I often wonder about that. You know, I've been on your website many times over the years. I found it very useful. And um, you're there, I suppose, you're, you're the arch enemy of the pharmaceutical companies who want to poison people with drugs. And, and you say, well, look, there's another way. There's a natural way to, to, to heal yourself. It's wonderful work yeah. you've been doing, really, you know? Wonderful work. Yeah, that has been my mission. You know, I first started the website about almost a quarter century ago, before Google started their site. And, uh, you know, the initial mission was to warn people about the dangers of pharmaceuticals and to provide them with uh, information that could prevent needless pain and suffering and premature deaths. But this last two years, it, that mission has expanded to prevent global tyranny uh, because it, it's... it's it's a greater mission because if, you, if you're a slave, then it doesn't really matter. You don't have a choice and you really can't control your health or take control of your health. So that's the bigger mission. And, and I'm empowered by our forefathers who really sacrificed a lot to get liberty from the tyranny in England. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> in yeah. I'm an you know, Irishman, by the way. I'm an Irishman. I'm, I'm an exile. Oh, okay. I'm an exile right. in England. I'm from Ireland originally, yeah. Okay. I'm, a, I'm a proper Irishman. You're, you're in London now, though, right? I'm, I'm actually in Salford, which is in the northwest, right next to uh, Manchester, which is, okay. fu- funnily enough, it's a, really, it's a really interesting atmosphere around here. The headquarters of the BBC are about a mile away from where I'm broadcasting. <laughs> so it's an, in, it's an interesting place to be uh, at the moment. But uh, I love the optimism. And uh, I mean, I don't need to tell you how much of a following and and how much of a support you've got in this part of the world. I only needed to announce you were coming on, and there was <laughs> huge interest in it, you know, because you've been doing it for so long. And yeah. uh, it's unimpeachable, really, that work, you know. But, but, but what motivates me is our forefathers, as I mentioned earlier, those guys, I mean, they sat, the people in the United States just 
fail to appreciate and understand what, what the, the sacrifice that they made. Yeah. They put their lives on the line. The, the, everyone who signed our Declaration of Independence, if, they, if we lost the Revolutionary War, they were all dead men. They would have been executed for treason, 100%. Yeah. So I think it's, it's going to take that type of commitment to really free, free us from what they're seeking to do. Because if, this is a worse tyranny that our forefathers sought to escape from. Much worse, exponentially worse, because they have tools that never existed, never could have been dreamed of yeah. 250 years ago. So they've got a lot of power, a lot of sophistication, some really effective tools. They know how to capture our data and how to use it. And you can just see the example of this, how effectively they are able to, to uh, serve the propaganda to, to get their means. And, and there's literally, we're now a minority. It's more than 50% of the people have swallowed this brainwashing stuff. And because they know how to how to serve it, you know how to and, do it. And captured all these agencies, so it's incumbent upon us. It's like thirty to forty percent of us who understand the truth, and to to rise up and resist this. We have to resist this tyranny, and that is the that is the crux of it. I mean, the vaccine is it, it, it's just sad that it's come to this, and, and I re, I sincerely believe it's 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 one of their depopulation strategies because there's no other way around. The people, the four thousand people we talked about dying. That is just, that's the tip of the tip of the iceberg. What's going to happen more than likely is this uh, pathogenic priming or something that's called AVE, which is antibody dependent enhancement, so that they've been exposed to this uh, spike protein through the messenger RNA vaccines. And uh, as a result, by the next time they get the vaccine or they get a natural uh, exposure to the virus in the fall or the winter, that could trigger yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, an event that will essentially be terminal. And here's, here's it's perfect because they, it will never be connected to the vaccine. They will never link the two. What will and they blame just, it on? Variants? Will they blame it on variants, virus variants? They'll come up with something. They'll come know, up with they, something. It might, be, it might be the aliens. Who knows? But they're, but or bio bioterrorism, I think, is the new the new threat. I, I don't think the next one's going to be an infection. It's probably going to be bioterrorism. Is that right? It's funny yeah. you mentioned pathogenic priming. Obviously, the, uh, Professor Dolores Cahill, who's um, you know, she's been sacrificed yeah, I've got, by. I've got to interview that woman. Yeah, she's, she's a great lady, and I'm sure she'd be delighted to speak to you. Uh, Dolores Cahill, of course, on this program, UCD University in Dublin have dispensed with her services because she's giving her honest opinion. You know, as a scientist, I wanted to just go back to what you said there a minute ago because it's very important. You talked about people needing to be, you know, to take the spirit of the founding fathers. In the first hour of my programme today, I was speaking with uh, an Irish comedian and we were reflecting on, in the 17th century, Oliver, mm -hmm. Crom Oliver Cromwell um, mm -hmm. told Irish Catholics that they couldn't worship and if they did, they'd be murdered. And yet people came out in the dark, in the dead of night, to meet and to worship, even though they knew if Cromwell's thugs caught them, they would be murdered, and yet they did it anyway. And you talked about your founding fathers. People might need to accept that they might need to put themselves in harm's way to resist mm -hmm. this tyranny. I agree with that. You know, I, I don't like violence, and I, I'm not going to be violent. I'm not going, I know, I know you're not. I know I'm you're not. You're, you're saying yeah. resist. Yeah, yeah, I know yeah. that. There's a difference. Yeah. yeah. No, I heard you loud and clear. You are not advocating violence, but you are, you are saying that people might need to do things that might be uncomfortable for them, but we need to do it anyway. Yeah, like like you being risk cancel culture, like being censored or banned or deplatformed. I mean, that's just the tip of the iceberg. They can they can get you in many many other ways to make your life miserable and uncomfortable. But that's and I doubt that they're going to directly 
throw you in jail like they or in, in internment camps like they did in Germany. I mean, it might come to that. Who knows? I mean, it it, it wouldn't be unbelievable considering what they've gotten away with so far. Yeah. But I don't I don't project that because it's it does a hard sell and hard difficult to do. But they they do the easy way. They can convince people to line up and get this vaccine and take them out easily. I don't know if you know this. We've only got about four minutes left. I'll give you the final word, of course. I don't know if you know this, but this is funny and scary as hell. In the UK at the moment, local authorities are sending persuaders to knock on people's doors, uh, Dr. Mercullo, who who have indicated, those people have indicated that they don't want the vaccine. It gets worse. It gets worse. So they've started started with the persuaders, right? Wait for it. Wait for it. In two weeks' time, the persuaders will be accompanied by somebody who's got the vaccine in hand. This is oh. astonishing. So it's not, it's not just a case of knock, knock. Hi, I'm here to persuade you to have the vaccine. We've got it here. We've actually got it. That's how crazy it's gotten in the UK. But anyway, I just want to do one thing before you get the final word. And that is uh, to remind our listeners, we've been listening this afternoon, this evening to Dr. Joseph Mercola. He's written a book with Ronnie Cummins called The Truth About COVID-19, published in the UK by Chelsea Green. It's available retailers here, bookshops and online retailers. Do support uh, the independent media, support people like Dr. Mercola and buy the book. I'm going to give you the final word. I've loved having you on. It's been great to meet you. Final word. I've never been on your program before, but I really appreciate the opportunity to dialogue. This is a very fun conversation and I wasn't interrupted like on Alex Jones every seven or eight minutes with 15 (laughs) minutes of commercials, which is like very difficult to endure and and, and provide information at the same time. So thank you for that. And, you know, I would, you know, you'll never find our information in Google. We're, we've been banned for two years from essentially their search engine. So if you want this information, and this is an ever-changing, continuously changing, evolving challenge that, and we, I am just shocked that our team is able to put together such amazing information. So it is free. You, we don't charge it under our website. Just, you gotta go to Mercola.com. You'll never find it on a search engine. So just go in there and you get the free daily newsletter. We'll update you. We also have a breaking news blog so that when things come out, you know, cause it takes us about a week or two to write an article. But the, the blog that we have uh, puts them out in real time. So I, I just really appreciate what you're doing. We need more voices like you out there. And, and I, I enjoyed the conversation. So thank you for having me. Great to meet you. Anytime you fancy a good old Barney, a good old rant, uh, come back on. It'll always <laughs> yeah, be good to have I you. Take, I might take you up on that, Richard. Always here. Thanks, Dr. Joseph Maricola. Great to have you on the program today. Brilliant stuff. It's exactly six minutes uh, to seven o'clock. Uh, do go to Mercola.com. Got to take a drink of water. Mercola.com, as he said. And do uh, check out the book if uh, you can. The Truth About COVID-19, Exposing the Great Reset, Lockdowns, Vaccine Passports and the New Normal. Yeah. Good stuff. Enjoy that. And I enjoyed speaking with Aidan Killian in the first hour as well. It's a swell. It's, it's become warm all of a sudden. I just noticed this. I'm wondering. I'm wondering. I, I've um, last summer and the summer prior, I bitched and moaned about the heat because this old house that we live in in Salford was built 120 years ago properly. It was built properly. It's unbelievably warm, even in the winter, right? Which obviously saves on on fuel and stuff like that. But um, I've been talking about aircon. I will not be complaining in July this year. An aircon system will be built in this studio before July. I've just got to make a phone call and organise it. But it's already getting kind of warm. 
And it's beginning to worry me a bit. I just felt very warm there. I don't know. Anyway, thanks uh, so much to uh, you for your comments during that. Uh, You made loads of points, and those points were covered, by the way, by Dr. Joseph Mercola. So I didn't have to uh, jump in there and uh, and interrupt him there. Um, Do uh, go to my website, richieallen.co.uk. Some interesting articles posted on there today. Uh, The Matt Hancock thing is on there and other stuff besides as well. Uh, Hi to Scottish John in Austin in Texas. How you doing, John? Thanks so much for the um, uh, comment. I really appreciate Hi to Anne Talbot as well. How you doing, Anne? How you doing, Anne? Hi to Elizabeth first. Elizabeth is in Madrid. How you doing, Elizabeth? Hi to Daniel. Hi to Patricia, who says, Richie, yeah, Reiner Fulmisch. I can never... I, I learned German for, 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 well, for five years in secondary school. I still have a few words, Kupla Fuckel. I still have a few German phrases and words, but I never spoke it. I never lived in Germany. Uh, it's Reiner Fulmisch, yes. Uh, he's definitely someone to pay attention to. He's a warrior for the truth, says Patricia. Uh, Love is the answer, says Pirate. Uh, thank you very much, Pirate. Uh, uh, is that the link to this James Corbett thing on Gates, is it? Because if somebody links me to it before the end of the programme, to the actual YouTube, uh, I don't have the time to watch anybody. So when I say I don't watch somebody, it's not a criticism of that person. I am up to my tonsils with the Richie Allen radio show. Uh, so I don't have time to be watching people's hour-long videos. Uh, but if you link me to this James Corbett thing about Bill Gates, I'll be happy to retweet it. Of course I will. Uh, and help draw attention to it. Okay. Hi, the political JJ. Right, we're about out of time now, aren't we? All right, okay. Yeah, so Gerald Salente, trendsresearch.com, Trends Journal, uh, Trends in the News. Great guy. Live from Kingston in New York. Gerald will be with me tomorrow. Uh, I love having him on, so that'll be great as well. I'm sure I'll have another guest. Thursday, I don't know. Can't tell you what's happening. We'll figure it out. Maybe phone calls. I don't know. We'll figure it out. I think Joe Boddington in, in Charlton has sent me a link there to... to uh, Maybe not. Have you, Joe? I'll retweet it anyway to the, to the, to the, to the Gates report on, on Corbett. Right, that's it. I'm out of here. Leaving you with this from the boss. It's not me being lazy. It's a brilliant song. It's symbolic. It's the power of prayer from Bruce Springsteen from Letter to You, his most recent album. Look after yourselves and one another. Thanks again to Joseph Mercola, doctor if you please, and to um, Killian. Aidan Killian. Mr. Aidan Killian. See you tomorrow. Bye now.